The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Good. All right, well, a few days before Christmas, as we start this off, the titles of Christ, uh, there's a story that says a few days before Christmas, two men in Florida decided to go sailing while their wives went Christmas shopping. I'm sure this never happens anywhere. But while the men were out sailing, a terrible storm arose, and they had great difficulty keeping the boat under control. And as they maneuvered back to land, they were grounded on a sandbar. And they jumped overboard and had to push with all their might to get the boat into deeper water. Not this boat, by the way. This is not the same boat on the screen. It's the only one I could find. But as they were doing this, the wind was blowing terrible. It was blowing to and fro, and they were were soaking wet and knee-deep in mud. But one of the guys looked at the other guy and said, as only a guy could say to another guy, you know, it sure beats Christmas shopping with our wives, right? You know that feeling, don't you? (laughs) Christmas comes around every year, every single year. The same songs, the same text, the same story, everything. But most of the time, I love the familiar rhythm of Advent and the comfortable routine of tradition, don't you? But as pastor, there's some desperation here. I mean, how many more Christmas sermons can you preach? How many more times can you talk about the donkeys and the manger and and, and, and this and that? And, And... you know, it, it gets to be a lot because sometimes we go through the same routine over and over and over again. But let's keep the main thing the main thing. Let's not get distracted by what the world says is, is supposed to be this time of year. But we need not an empty spiritual smooth sailing. We need the gospel. And so as routine as it is, I want to go through with you, just like those husbands had to go through the routine of Christmas shopping with their wives, or not much so, of what it means to know Jesus Christ, and especially who He is. Because this is why in the coming weeks we are going to hunker down in the book of John. I don't need to be cute and clever. We don't need a live animal audience up here. That would be interesting, but it would be stinky, and you don't want that. I don't want that, all right? So we just need to preach Christ. And this is what 1 Corinthians 2 says. Paul reminding the Corinthians, he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what it's about. Christmas is not about presents or gifts. It is about Christ crucified. Because the one who'd be born in the manger would die the death later on. He was the gift. But have we allowed this Christmas time to become more about created stuff than the incarnation of the Creator Himself? That's really the question. And this Christmas, will your season be more about craving created things than worshiping the Creator who came to break your bondage to that creation? And that is what the big idea is, is that Jesus came to dethrone us and enthrone Himself as king in our hearts, because people, places, and things will never be our Savior. I mean, isn't that what it's all about? I mean, this time of year, we talk so much about Christ and Christ and Christ, but often it's just a side note in a very busy calendar year, if we're really honest. 
and we run to the Christmas story because if God gave us a son, will he not also give everything else that we need? And who celebrates Christmas correctly? It's whoever lays down all his power, his honor, his reputation, his vanity and arrogance beside the manger, and whoever remains low enough to see that Christmas is not about what we get out of it. It's about what's been given to us in Christ, and that's what it's about. Look, we could have all the fancy lights, all the fancy shows. I could dress up in a goat costume if you want me to. That'd be scary enough for you, but that's not what you need. Yeah, get that picture in your mind a few times in your nightmares tonight. But I really pray as we go through John chapter 1 that you see Christ high and lifted up. That's our prayer. I pray that you are gripped by the life-shaping all that is the most wonderful gift, and it's Jesus himself. That is what our church is built upon. That's what Christianity is built upon. So this morning, a little bit more blog-type sermon-ish sermon, if that makes any sense at all. It didn't make sense in my mind. Maybe it does in yours. But I want to look from John 1. We're going to hop, skip, and jump around. But I want to give you nine titles about Jesus as Messiah. Who is this Jesus that we worship? And then next week, we're going to look at the, the famous verses, John 1, 1, and, and, and so on. A couple weeks from now, Nelson will be preaching. We'll be in Oklahoma uh, for, for Christmas down there. But as we get closer to Christmas Day, may you see Christ high and lifted up. Not a created Michael the archangel that became Jesus the Savior. Not the literal spirit brother of Lucifer not some just sweet baby in a manger, but the God who holds the keys to life and death. That is the God that we have, and that is the God that we serve. So with that in mind, we're just going to read the first three verses of John chapter 1. We're going to be hop, skipping, and jumping around. But would you join me in standing as we read God's Word this morning, if you're able, from John chapter 1, verses 1, 2, 3. Hear God's word as it is read this morning. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If you are an underliner, that last part, word was God, underline that till you bleed that pen dry. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. I'm actually going to go to through verse 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Guys, I pray this year, as you've probably, some of you, heard dozens of Christmas things, that if there's one thing you get out of this Christmas season, is that you see whatever you are facing Whatever our nation is facing, whatever our church is facing, Christ is on his throne. He's not in a manger. He is on his throne. And because of that, we have hope. And because of that, we have reason to celebrate. Even in July, I don't care if you play Christmas music after November 1st or not, Jesus is still to be worshipped. Amen? And you can solve that other debate another time. But let's go before the Lord as we pray this morning. Father, thank you for your word. As we look briefly this morning before we partake of the supper, the Lord's Supper, later on in our service, about nine titles that you have. Lord, I thank you that you give us your word, baby talk as it is to us finite minds. 
for you, the infinite creator. But Lord, I pray as you come among us this morning, as your spirit moves and illuminates our hearts, opens them up to receive the word. Father, we repent of any sin. We receive your forgiveness, and we pray that you stir us, Lord, to know you more. Father, I pray this Christmas season is not just another time, but I pray it's one time that we see you bigger and wider than we ever have. Father, in the bounds of Scripture, but as you've told us to see you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. All right, you may be seated. Thank you very much. Keep your Bibles open, though, to John chapter 1, and that's where we'll be camping out. We'll go through, spot check John chapter 1. And the first title I want you to see this morning is that Jesus is, and we just read this, but Jesus is the Word of God, the Word of God. And this is a title of Revelation, not the book of Revelation, but about how He show Himself. And you saw there in verses 1 to 3 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Now, our, our Jehovah's Witness friends will say that, that this, ver, this, this verse here says that God is just creating Jesus, that Jesus isn't creator. Friends, that's not the truth at all. Jesus is either fully God or he's not. He can't be both. And we have to decide that because that is the greatest question, isn't it? Who do you say that I am? And this title here refers to God's revelation to us. And as much as our hearts and minds show what we believe, but when I, and there are times you can look at someone and see, I think they're thinking this, or I think they're thinking that. God showed us what he was thinking. He gave us himself. He came among us. He died for us. And in this sense, Jesus is the word of God. He's not a written word. Jesus wasn't a big dictionary walking around. As I've heard some people posit before. He was God incarnate, come to us to show us everything we needed for life and for godliness. He is the fullest, greatest manifestation of God to us. And this is why, go down to verse 14 of John 1. We're going to be jumping around here, very familiar. But this is why verse 14 says, And the Word, that's Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus is not a higher being. Jesus is not uh, just a spirit like Casper the ghost floating out there going to say boo and scare you in Christmas like, like Scrooge or something. But Jesus is the only begotten God, and he is different than the Father, and he has made God known to us. And this is why Hebrews 1, you can write this down, says long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his angel, by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom himself created the world. And that's what I want to communicate to you this morning as a great reminder to you that this Jesus that we believe is the ultimate revelation of God, as you'll see on the screen, blessing us with stunning truths that set us free and make us wise. Friend, if you miss that Jesus is God, you have missed biblical Christianity. It is that important. I don't care in, in this land of, of you believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. If we miss Jesus as the Word of God made flesh, we have no reason to be here today. The coffee is good. Amen? Thank you, Jeff Jones. 
The rooms are clean. It looks nice. But if Jesus is not the Word of God made flesh, we are hopeless. We can never know the Father except through the Son. We are without hope. But if you know God, Jesus has revealed himself to you and has come and made this known to you by Jesus coming to earth. And there are so many Christians. They did a study, uh, Ligonier Ministries did a study not too long ago of the question, do you believe that Jesus is the highest created being ever made? And 70-some percent of Christians said yes. This is scary. Guys, Jesus is not created. He's creator. As he came into the flesh, he was still creating all things. Yet in a survey of a thousand Baptist church people, 70-some percent said Jesus is just another created thing like you and me. Hogwash. That is heresy. And if we want to see Jesus as he is, we have to believe he alone is fully God and fully man. He is the revelation of God himself. If you are here today and you don't believe that, then you don't believe the Bible. And if you don't believe the Bible, I would challenge you, if you claim the name of Christ, to truly believe the other claims of Jesus. And that's what it is. The second thing I want you to know is that Jesus is not only the Word of God, He shows forth revelation, but He's the light of men. The light of men, which is illumination, a title of illumination. Go back to verse 4 and 5, and we read this at the start, but I want to read it again. In him, who is that? In, in, in the Word of God, in, in Jesus, God himself, second person of the Trinity. Oop, stepping on some things there. And in him was the life, and the light was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. I mean, have you ever thought about how you came to know Jesus Christ? I mean, someone shared with you probably. Uh, maybe you read a gospel track. Maybe you watched a, a crusade, or you read the Bible yourself. There's lots of ways, but... There's always the truth that light came into your life. And light always extinguishes the darkness, but darkness cannot do that to the light. And not only is it not enough just to have the words. I mean, you can turn on a light and not see. You could be blind, perhaps. But the only way you have come to see Jesus is the Word of God is God has turned on that light bulb in your life. Isn't that amazing? You ever think about that? You think about the 2.9 billion people around the world who have no access to the gospel whatsoever. God, why did you choose me? Why? Romans 9 says it's not because of anything you did or, 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 or good, but, you know, we say this all the time. You know, honey, the light finally came on. You finally see my side of things, right? Or she finally saw the light. Well, if you're a Christian, by God's grace, the Word of God, through the power of the Spirit, has illuminated your life, and what was once foolishness is now awesomeness because of Christ. We saw this last week, didn't we, with the missionary, the young missionary man, uh, John Chow, you may remember him, who went to the North Centennial Islands, way out in the Bay of Bengal, uh, way out there. And, and, you know, there may be some question about his strategy of missions, but one thing is clear. The, you know who I'm talking about, right? The young man loved the Lord. He loved Jesus. He wanted people to know Jesus. And his testimony has gone around the most liberal stations ever. And they've shared the gospel free of charge because he gave his life for Christ. And if you're not a Christian, go read the comments on, on Facebook or Twitter. It's sickening. I mean, the things that are said, how, well, who's he? He's, he's just a white 
uh, imperialist. He's just trying to take over these people. No, he loved Jesus and he wanted to share Jesus with these people. But if you've never been illuminated to the truth, it is foolishness. Because that shines a light in a dark place in your life. And this is what Dave preached on back in April. This is conversion. When you come to see the light that is Christ as the Word of God, you have been saved by God's Word. You have been shown the light. And that's why I want to remind you that one of the greatest truths of Scripture is that Christ indwells His people at the moment of conversion. When you call upon Jesus as your Lord, you don't have to wait five years, three weeks, two days, five seconds, and ten nanoseconds. You come to Christ right away. Isn't that awesome? That's why someone on a deathbed, if possible, can come to know Jesus because they trust in Him. Don't forget, Paul's conversion is a great reminder that no one is beyond the reach of Jesus. That Paul was going out to kill Christians. And at the moment, out of nowhere it seems, God got a hold of his life and saved him. It is given, not earned. But Jesus is the light of men. Who is it in your life that you need to pray for? That God, would you send your spirit to awaken them as you've awakened me to the truth? Well, Jesus is not only the Word of God, uh, He shows forth revelation, He's not only the light of men, but He is also the Lamb of God, number three, the Lamb of God, which shows that He is, it's a title of redemption. Go to John chapter 1, verse 29, will you? John 1, 29. I want you to see this. Uh, this is John speaking. It says in verse 29, the next day he saw this, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he who I'm, I have said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. This sums up the entire Old Testament through a tiny keyhole. This is why I'm so, I love our deacons, but, and there's only one hunter among our deacons. Uh, Brother John is, I believe, the only hunter who hunts, but thankfully John doesn't have to go outside before the Lord's Supper and take care of business so we can have a sacrifice in here every Sunday. John, you didn't know that was in your description, did you? Not quite. But Jesus is the Lamb of God. Isaiah 53, 7, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't open his mouth. But so many today stop at just seeing Jesus as an example. He's just a good example. He was a good man. He lived a good life. But we don't merely need an example of heroic dying love. We needed a substitute, didn't we? The wrath of God was on us. We needed someone to stand in our place. And people think a Christian who's one who follows Jesus' teaching, but Jesus is not primarily a teacher. He's a rescuer. He is, before you take him as an example, you must recognize and accept him as a gift. He died in our place. God's wrath was transferred to him, and he was lifted up to die as a sin bearer for us. And as Christ has come shining in your mind through the word of God at your center, he died for you, Christian. You say, I don't know what to give people as a Christmas gift. Have you ever considered just writing them a letter telling them about the gospel of Jesus Christ? You, maybe you don't know what to give. Write them a letter. And if you don't write well, get someone who can, and maybe pay them a couple bucks for writing that bad handwriting and good handwriting. But nonetheless, write them a letter and tell them, do you know that Jesus died for you? Do you know? Darren, that's weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's foolish to be a Christian. Welcome to being a Christian. You're the next contestant up on who wants to be fool for Christ. Get used to it. It's part of the MO of being a Christian. 
your heart and your soul is that you are a sinner and that He is holy, but He died for you so you can be right with God. So not only is He the Word of God, the light of men, the Lamb of God, but He is also the Son of God, a title of exaltation. We look at verse 34 of chapter 1, just a few verses down, John 1, 34. And this is John the Baptist again speaking. He says, And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist calls him the Son of God. It's a divine name, unique with the Father. He's not only the Son of God, but the God, the Son. He's co-equal. He's co-eternal. He's enthroned at the right hand of the Father, heir of all things. He's fully divine, equally divine, Jesus is. He's possessor of divine attributes. Colossians 2.9 says that in Him, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is why you can't just reduce the baby in a manger down to being a nice man and teacher, as you'll see on the screen. Wouldn't that be nice? You can go on most any airwave today and say, man, isn't it great that we get to celebrate Jesus in the manger today? But if you tell them that that Jesus came to die for them because they are wicked, wretched sinners in need of a Savior, they're going to cut the airwaves to the commercial pretty quick, aren't they? Because this message is so different than the world wants. But I want you to see, he's not just one of many revelations. As, as my old college professors used to say, he, you know, they, would, they would argue that he is one road up the mountain. You remember that old, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. Yeah, you can sing it later. Many people think that's what it is, that the Muslims have a little truth, that Buddhists have a little truth, that, 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 that all these groups have truth, and that someday we're all just going to sing link arms and sing kumbaya, hogwash, hogwash, hogwash. This Savior came because He is the only way to heaven. There is no other name under heaven by which we are saved except the name Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. That is what we know, and it, that's what we bank ourselves on. That is what you bank your faith on at work. That's what you bank your family's legacy on if you're a Christian is that truth. It's offensive. It's narrow-minded. It is, in a sense, bigoted, but it's a message of love, hope, and grace at the same time. This is the Jesus that we have. Either He is the Son of God or He's not. Not all roads lead to Rome. He's totally different than the Mormon view of Jesus, than Jehovah's Witnesses' view of Jesus, or all the cults, they don't come to the same Jesus. Don't let them trick you. They don't believe in the same Jesus. They believe in a false Jesus. Can I say that clearly? With all love in my heart. Because if you knew someone was dying in a burning building, and you just said, oh man, that's a great fire. Can I bring a weenie roast with that too? We would call you a fool, wouldn't we? Call you inhumane. And if we have come to the one who gave us infinite value, gives us infinite value at the cross more than any angel or created being, then we celebrate what only God could have done for us in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Number five, he's not only the Word of God, the, the light of men, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, but he's also rabbi. And that may sound weird to you, but let's get to it. Go to verse 38, John 1, 38. Rabbi is a title of instruction. I want you to see this, chapter 1, verse 38. It says, and they said to him, they being the, uh, the, the disciples at this time, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, 
uh, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, verse 39, and stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. So we've been saved, but now we need instruction. Now we need instruction. We need to know exactly what it is to live this Christian life. So he is our teacher of our hearts and our souls through the power of the Spirit. He's greater than any prophet. He's greater than any preacher. He's Billy Graham on steroids infinitely done. If you want to go that far, he is the giver of instruction. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, I love this. I, I, I wish I was a fly on the wall there. You remember the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5? Jesus says, you've heard it said, and he quotes the Old Testament. But then he comes back, and you can almost feel the tension rising a bit. But I say to you, and he does this over and over. You've heard it said this, but I say to you that. You've heard it this, but I say this. That is our Lord. He looks at your life, and he says, you've heard it said by the world this, but I want to tell you, if you want to grow, you need to do this. I've been preaching for a few years, and, and I've immersed myself in seminary, and I've sat through some of the best teachers, some of which are in this room today, and I need to be taught by Christ, uh, or by these folks, but mostly I need to be taught by Christ Himself, and that is the truth of the matter. We need to be taught by Christ, but don't get the idea, guys, that the Old Testament has a message different from the New Testament. It is all the same. You know that same survey, the Ligonier survey I quoted? There's about two-thirds, if I'm not mistaken, of people who said that the Old Testament is just garbage. Just toss it out. All we got is Jesus, right? I mean, the God of the Old Testament is just this old, like, whoa, he's like just that, that guy who's uh, grumpy old men or whatever that show was, you know, that thing, and he's just grumpy. He hates people. He buries them. But the God of the New Testament is just, whoo, give me a hug. Come to me. I love you. You love me. We're a great big family. That was the famous philosopher Barney, by the way, if you weren't keeping track. <laughs> but guys, is God not the same yesterday, today, and forever? The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New. And today, the Old Testament has been demoted, even derided by professing Christians. We hear that the Old Testament portrays a bloodthirsty, angry, unethical subdeity, but the New Testament's all about love. But if no one else says it, hear the truth of the Old Testament. It is not substandard. It is ethics are not unholy. It does not at all times teach a different God. It's the same God. The Old Testament points that Jesus Christ and his apostles were coming, and they teach the same thing that was in the Old Testament. It points in full to Christ, and it is God's holy word. Well, Darren, I can't pronounce half the names that are in there. It doesn't mean it's not true. Well, Darren, I don't understand it. Well, you know what? There are some hard parts, let's be honest, but it doesn't chuck out God's Word. There is a famous pastor who has said in recent months and has a book out that we should unhitch ourselves, like a trailer hitch, you know, you hitch, it, you hitch a trailer. He said that we should unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because it's no longer relevant to the needs of God's people. What's that great theological word I've used five times now? Hogwash. We will preach the Old Testament here because it tells about the Messiah to come. We will preach the Old Testament here because it is for the glory of God. It is Scripture. It is divine truth. Praise God that from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it is all His Word. Amen? And we need that instruction, and Jesus came as a rabbi to teach us that. Number six, Jesus is not only a rabbi, but He is also a Messiah. 
I think this is pretty obvious to most of us, but He is Messiah. There is anticipation here. Yeah, that word Messiah, of course, means anointed one. It means that He is the prophet, priest, and king. Uh, you remember in the Old Testament that David anointed Samuel as king, but also that this, this king is not like those kings. He is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, this Jesus. But the birth of Jesus proves that God's grace is not just an idea, but it is really a person. He has come. And that this Messiah is the grace of God come to us. I mean, can you think of any other story in all the world, even if you take the, the secular arguments from the History Channel, can I give you my yearly warning? Some of you all love the History Channel. It's great. But the stuff they're going to put out in the coming weeks is not true. So just take it with a huge grain of salt. Doesn't mean you can't listen to the opposition, but don't get so thrusted in the opposition that you chuck out God's Word in the process. But this morning, we will take the Lord's Supper, and we will do it again and again and again and again, because the Messiah has come. He is here. We don't need anyone else. And what it proves to us that this Jesus has come is that we now have everything we need to live for Him and to go forward. I mean, think about it. I've used this illustration probably several times, but if guys, if you didn't have to shave ever again on your beard, you shaved one time and that was it, wouldn't that be nice? Amen. I don't know who said it, but you're going to get it. Ladies, wouldn't it be nice if you had to tell your husband one time the things that you want him to know? One time, once for all. That'd be great. Amen. I think we got more amens in the last two examples we've had in weeks. Wouldn't it be nice if you had to pay your tax? I mean, run the list. But Jesus as Messiah has come once and for all to give us life. Once and for all. There's no need, as some believe, to re-sacrifice Him at every gathering of the church week after week after week. It is done. It is finished. Messiah has come. This takes us to number seven. He's not only Messiah, but down in verse 45, he is salvation. The title Jesus, the name Jesus, which is a title of salvation. Go to verse 45 of uh, John 1. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of, of, of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, there's a debate whether that was rhetorical or that was just a, a, a swipe. But the, the, the thing remains true, that Jesus' name means Jehovah saves. Jehovah saves. John 4.32, he came to save the world. Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no other name. He is the exclusive Savior of mankind. He is it. And there is no other forgiveness for our sins, only except through Jesus Christ. And that's what we know. But I want you to remember that Jesus Christ, Christian, promises you two things. He promises you eternal life, and he promises you to hope in that. But he secondly promises you a cross on which you will die. Maybe not literally, but this is something that you need to consider the cost. Have you counted the cost to live for Christ in comfortable 21st century America? That's something I think about last week with this, this young man, John Chow, who was unmarried, was single, unattached, you know, all these things that if you read, if you remember in his journal before he wrote, he said, God, I don't want to die. 
You ever think missionaries don't second guess the things they're stepping into? It's real, very real. God, I don't want to die, but I pray that you are glorified through me. Lord, if it takes me dying for these people to hear about Jesus, then so be it. Wow. But Darren, he came from a questionable sending organization theologically, and we're not sure what his plans were. What church was he a member of? I don't know, but man, I want that guy's passion. Don't you? Yeah, there are some questions, but I know one thing. He believed that Jesus is all these things we talked about, and at the throne of God, John Chow is being celebrated for the life he gave to Jesus Christ. Friends, has you counted the cost of being a Christian? Church, have we counted the cost of being a Christian in a post-modern, post-post-post-modern society? We've been post for several years now. It will cost us budget. It will cost us notoriety in our neighborhood. It will cost us a lot of things to stand on this exclusive truth that Jesus is who he said he was. Number eight, two to go and we'll be done. He's also, number eight, the king of Israel. Look at verse 49, if you will. Nathaniel, again, if you'll just scroll down a few more verses. John 1, 49. And Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Friends, I love this because King Jesus is succeeding, and you'll see this on the screen, but at this moment, all over the world, throughout all the universe, everything is going his way. There is not this struggle between Satan and God, like this arm wrestling match, like, oh man, our tug of war, Satan's got a little rope, and then he gives some. God is in control. He's won the battle. Satan is at his beck and call. Satan does not have any more power than God allows him to have. What great awesome grace that is, that this Savior is the King who is over all, and Israel will see Jesus as who He said He was. They will cry out in repentance, we know someday from Scripture. They will see that the fountain drawn from Emmanuel's veins, that all who were plunged in there were safe, as the old hymn says. What an awesome God we serve. God is not up in the heavens vacillating, saying, what am I going to do? The Chiefs may not win the Super Bowl. The Royals had a bad season. Fill in the blank. He's not up there second-guessing. He is in control. We don't vote him out every two and a half or four years. He is king of kings. This is that baby that was in the manger. This God. What problems do you have? Take it to him. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He is the king of Israel. He's the king of everything. There's that one square inch where Jesus cannot look and say, this is mine. That means we should go out with great boldness to share the gospel because wherever we go, whatever happens to us, victory has already been won and we will be successful because Christ is on his throne. Last thing, he is the son of man. This is a title of consummation. I think I might have put that twice. Uh, coronation last time, consummation this time. But he is the son of man. Look lastly as we close here at verse 51. And Jesus said to him, he's speaking to Nathanael here, and he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, we've looked at this uh, over our study of Mark, but just as a reminder that when Jesus says he's the Son of Man, this was his favorite title. He's referring back to Daniel 7.13, which says, uh, and I quote and listen carefully, Daniel 7.13, Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with 
clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came as ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him, and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That is our God. Jesus is the Son of Man who walked in your shoes, so you can know He will deliver the grace that is form-fit for your time of need. He did that for you at the cross. He's doing that for you right now, wherever we go. Church, we gave the State of the Church address a couple of weeks ago. Whatever need is before us as a church, God will make it true. Well, that's just pastor talk. We got bills to pay, and look at this, look at that. Yes, there are some things we need to address. Amen. Praise God. Have you prayed about it? Have you asked God about it? Have you trusted God with it? God will take care of us. I believe that. The greatest days of the kingdom of God are ahead just as they have been for all time because God is in control and he will bring it all to pass. Look, the Super Bowl's big, right? Got two months away. But the resurrection of the Son of Man is infinitely bigger. And guess what? He wins every time. And guess what? He's already won once and for all. Jesus will rule and reign. He won't be replaced. Jesus will never be laid to rest. His kingdom is everlasting. As you start out this Christmas season, can I ask you, have you dethroned, maybe not intentionally, but through busyness or through, 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 through lack of faith, uh, of just believing God is able, have you dethroned God and who He said He is? Have you missed that He is the Word of God, the light of men, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Rabbi who teaches you, the Messiah, the, the name Jesus of salvation. He's the King and He's the Son of Man. Have we missed that? I pray that our prayers go up. And Don and Shirley, I didn't put this in the notes, but I have no doubt. Last night at 9, 9.30 when Carol saw the glory of Christ, all she can say is, hallelujah, I've been saved and here I am. And guys, we're not there yet. God hasn't taken you home. He hasn't returned. But we have a reason to praise God every week we gather because Jesus is Lord. That's what we know. Will you pray with me as we close out today? Father God, as we come before you, we recognize our, our neediness because we are sinful people. Father, we recognize that we so often replace you with even silly things that we believe that have been told to us about who you are and what you've come to do. Father, save us from such things. Father, this week when we struggle to believe that you are able or you're going to work or you're going to do or whatever it is, Lord, forgive us. Give us the strength to forbear. Father, as we go through these days and celebrate and mourn and, and grieve over the loss of a dear sister of ours, Lord, Father, thank you that we have remembrance of the same God who has told Sister Carol and Brother Richard in recent months that, that he will never leave them nor forsake them is the same God this side of heaven who's told us those same promises. Father, I thank you that you know. You told us that eight times in Revelation. You know, you know, you know, you know. And because you know, we will trust you. Thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just stay as a baby in the manger, but you grew to take on the wrath of God, to bear our sins, to be buried, to rise again. And through that power, we live victoriously every day. Thank you, Lord. We prepare our hearts as we sing. And in just a moment after the song, the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.
I'm going to ask our, our, everyone to stand, our deacons, if guys, if you want to come to the